Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Hundreds of rights activists have asked five political prisoners held by the Islamic Republic to end their month-long hunger strike. In a letter, 650 activists said that the hunger strike has raised awareness about the conditions of the Iranian prisoners of conscience and garnered support by many human rights organizations from the inside and outside of Iran. The letter urged the prisoners to end their strikes as reports indicate their health is deteriorating. Shakila Monfared is being held in Karchak Prison, also known as Ray Women's Prison, while Hamid Hajdafar Kashani, Sina Behesti, Mohammed Abosani, and Saeed Tamjidi are in Great Tehran Penitentiary, aka Fasha Fuye. They started their hunger strike four weeks ago to protest neglect by prison authorities and the death of poet and political prisoner Bakhtash Optin, who succumbed to COVID-19 complications after he was denied timely treatment by officials at Tehran's Evan Prison. Tamjidi, one of the prisoners who was arrested during the November 2019 nationwide protests, along with his fellow hunger-striking prisoners, was beaten by guards and medical staff when they were feeling sick and taken to the prison infirmary in late January. Earlier in January, a young political prisoner, Adele Kianpour, who was on hunger strike to demand a fair trial, died in detention without receiving any medical care in the Shaiban prison in the southwestern city of Abaz in Khuzestan province. 1,500 inmates who had been evacuated from Raymond Laborde Correctional Center are now returned to the prison after a 10-day-long firefighting battle in Avayel's Parish, Louisiana. The piles of burning tires that sent black plumes of smoke into the sky have finally been extinguished. State fire investigators explained that the ongoing blaze prevented them from fully probing the cause of the fire at the Cottonport Monofill Tire Recycling Complex. The fire burned for 10 days as state and local firefighters fought to put out the burning piles of whole and chopped tires. At its worst, the blaze sent up thick black smoke visible for miles around, as far away as Marksville to the north and straight into the state prison 300 yards to the south. Firefighters had limited access to water, hampering their efforts, and fought the blaze section by section, dousing the fire and then smothering it with dirt, then pushing their remaining monofill into a pond on site. State corrections officials stated that the fire marshal's office had informed them the fire was out, the smoke levels at the prison had, quote, fallen below any threat to human health, and that groundwater under the site is not used for drinking. State regulators still have to sort out who will pay for the cleanup. Protesters marched through downtown Rapid City and rallied in front of the federal courthouse on Monday to demand the release of Leonard Peltier after he contracted COVID-19 while serving life in prison after being convicted of murdering two FBI agents on the Pine Ridge Reservation in 1975. Quote, he is 77 years old with a heart condition, diabetes, aortic aneurysm. He does fall into the criteria for a COVID release, an immediate COVID release, said Carol Gokey, co-director of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. She added that Peltier, quote, has more than served any time for whatever crime they came up with for him. The Rapid City protest, led and mostly attended by Native Americans, was one of six held across the country on Monday. 
Peltier, who has Ojibwe and Lakota heritage, was found guilty of murdering FBI agents Jack Kohler and Ronna Williams at an American Indian movement camp near Oglala. Peltier, who was housed at a high-security prison in Florida, has said he participated in the shootout in self-defense, but did not kill the agents. He and his supporters have demonstrated FBI agents coerced witnesses and prosecutors withheld evidence while extraditing Peltier from Canada and trying him in North Dakota. Native American members of the South Lakota legislature, including the lone Republican member, the Oglala Sioux Tribe, the late Nelson Mandela, the National Congress of American Indians, and a former prosecutor who helped send Peltier to prison, are among those calling for Peltier's release. Peltier has exhausted his appeals and will only be released if approved under a COVID-19 home confinement program or if the president grants him clemency. For 23 days in a row, Palestinian administrative prisoners have continued their boycott of Israeli military courts in protest of Israel's widely condemned practice, administrative detention, an Israeli policy that allows prisoners to be held indefinitely without trial or charge based on, quote, secret evidence. At least four Palestinian children are currently detained under such orders. At the start of this year, 500 Palestinian administrative detainees held without trial or charge in Israeli prisons started refusing to show up for their court sessions. The boycott includes the hearings to approve or renew the administrative detention order, as well as appeal hearings and later sessions at the Supreme Court. Under the banner, our decision is freedom, no to administrative detention. Administrative prisoners say their move continues long-standing efforts, quote, to put an end to the unjust administrative detention practiced against our people by the occupation forces. Human rights groups describe Israel's use of the practice as a systemic and arbitrary form of collective punishment, noting that its extensive use constitutes a violation of international law, particularly relating to internationally recognized principles of a fair trial. In this episode, we share the first part of a conversation between Jock from Focus Initiatives and Rodney Jones, known as Big R. Both men share stories of their own incarceration and describe life in a maximum restraint unit. As Big R puts it, when you leave general population for the MRU, you're in a whole different place now. Big R talks about growing up in Indiana, contrasted with the daily life in prison. Later, in talking about the tight grip of the MRU, he lays groundwork for talking about the 1985 Pendleton Uprising, as he was a witness to the beating that sparked the revolt. Here they are. My name is Justin Huerta. Uh, They call me Jock. I've been incarcerated off and on for 14 years out of my life. So I have firsthand knowledge and firsthand experience about the injustices and um, the inhumane treatment that myself personally firsthand have suffered through and seeing it by everybody I was around at the time. So I believe this information is very important and, and, and very urgent. And I really appreciate everybody here for your interest in having the story explained to you. Definitely appreciate your input. First of all, uh, Mr. Jones, Big R, if you would, maybe you would uh, like to tell the people a little bit about yourself, especially the earlier years before you found yourself in the criminal justice system. Well, I grew up like most guys my age, at a young age, trouble, one parent home, 
Mother tried to keep me from venturing out, doing the things I was doing. Because every time I would come home, I was acting a certain way, you know, the little don't get in trouble type of guy. But as soon as I ventured out from the home, I was troubled. You know, I was somewhat a product of the environment that I came out of, you know, for all the wrong reasons. So I would run with certain type of guys. We would get into all type of mischief, making bad choices. Was that in Indiana? It's in Indianapolis. Yeah, in the northeast side, south side. Everywhere we went, I would find trouble, or trouble would find me. And you know, it becomes a point. At that particular time, it, be, it becomes a part of who you are. This is what you, you look for. This is what you get up for. You know, school, I, I ain't going to school today. I'm going around this way. So like I say, long story short, I was just always into something. Right. You know, and I made so. a lot of bad choices. Definitely so. You know, but so, at the time I thought they was right. Right. So uh, at, at what point, how were you when you found yourself um, about to enter into the criminal justice system going to prison? I want to say, now a lot of things I did, I didn't get caught. Right. I want to make that clear. Right. So, uh, maybe 18 or 19 when they finally trapped me or caught me or whatever you want to say, you know, mm -hmm. bad choices. Right. You know, regretful choices. Definitely. 62, be 62 next month. Been home this time over five years. Got married. You know what I'm saying? Told her about my background. It didn't scare her off. She's still here. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yes, sir. So I said all that to say, man, I was probably, oh, man, 17, 18, 19, you know, somewhere okay. in that particular time. Okay. Uh, but I started out. 10, 11, 12 right. with the bad choices. Right. I don't know if anybody here can identify with some bad choices, but they caught me. Right. Some of us just they caught me. You know, some of us just didn't get caught. Definitely. And the charge that sent you to Pendleton to where you was actually happened to be there at that uprising of 1985, uh, what type of sentence did you get? Well, when I first, see, when I first started out, I was, a, it was a terrible choice. I was selling a little drugs, made a few promises that I didn't keep. And I'll elaborate on that like this. I had made a promise to a female that I didn't keep, and it came back to haunt me. You know, I told my wife all about it. And with that choice I made, Landed me to Michigan City, really. Okay. Indiana State Prison. Now, when I got in Indiana State Prison, you got to keep in mind, you know, you was looked at like a lamb coming in. You know what I mean? First time ever being behind the wall, in the belly of the beast, behind the iron curtain. So you looking at like you finna get preyed on, but I wasn't going to be that. So I went to Michigan City. I got in a few incidents in Michigan City, and I end up at the reformatory in 1984, 1984 on the maximum restraint unit. That's how I ended up on that unit. They got into it with a few guards at Michigan City. You know, they screaming and hollering and, and I didn't, I was sensitive. I didn't like to be screaming and holler that. 
you know, so I was like, oh, you know, so got into it with a few other prisoners, you know, territorial type stuff, you know, I'm out of Indianapolis, you out of Gary, you out of Chicago, especially up north. That particular uh, time, guys felt like they was out of Gary and you was out of Indianapolis, we had a misunderstanding off the top. Okay, well, pick somebody else to run out of the cell house or do something else. I was, I was still in my heyday. I was still like, man, woman, child, we gonna do this. You know, like I say, it was bad choices. It was, it was learning experiences, but it was, it was bad choices because it ended me up on that maximum restraint unit. Maximum unit. Yeah, right. MRU. So how, what was the, what was the difference between the living situation in regular population and get into maximum security? It was a big difference. Big difference. Living in general population, you had a little more freedom. But when you got on this maximum control unit, you was limited to a lot of things. I remember when we first, when they first brought us in, it was at nighttime, it was about six of us coming from one lockup from Indiana State Prison to this. And we was limited to boxers, your shorts, give me your regular tennis shoes and put these shower shoes on. You know what I mean? Uh, when you're coming in, when you're coming in, you're coming in like on the leash. So if you kind of make any sudden move, they can pull the leash and you're going to fall. You know? So we, we came in like that on that unit and we knew we were somewhere different. Wow. Because we had, we had came off a unit at Indiana State Prison. You was able to look at a little TV here and now and then when you come down here, you in a dungeon. You know what I mean? You in a well, you hear the doors close, you hear the clink clank, and you and, and the lights go out, and, and don't forget to feed me. You know that type of stuff. You know what I mean? Right. You know it was, it was dungeon, man. Right, right. MRU was really something spooky. You said something about a leash. What it was? Well, it you know, physical or, or well, well, they, it, they like restraints. Right. And basically, when you get transferred from another prison, you in some certain type of restraints. Right. So when you get marched to this unit, this was considered the worst of the worst unit. So you, you like this, and then you got the thing going between where they hold it, the soldiers. So if you make any kind of sudden move, they pull that, you fall. You fall. Right. You know, and I witnessed brothers, I witnessed them doing that on the free brother. It, it never really happened to me like that, but I witnessed them pulling the chain, and then you wonder, for what reason was that done? Right. Man ain't tried to buck against you, but I guess you was trying to make it known that this is where you at now. So yeah, it was uh, it was something else. First time I went to prison was in 1995. That was my first time entering into the system. And just like he says, you get transported from one, the county jail. First you go to RDC, which is the diagnostic to yep. evaluate your health, evaluate yep. your mind. Determine where they're gonna send you. Decide where, where determine your charges, you know, how dangerous a person they believe you to be so they can decide which category of prison that you're sent to. True. So I went through that process and I was 24 at the time and never been through anything like that at all. Never been through the juvenile system. My charge as well was uh, dealing in drugs. So it was, it was nonviolent. They sentenced me to three years, but what I remember most is as he was saying about the transition of being a person as you've always understood yourself to be, right. you know, 
Uh, you want to think that you're a good hearted person. You know, you want to help people, but you have your downsides too. you right, know, right. making bad choices in yep. bad environments and circumstances. So, you know, those things happen. But I noticed when I went into RDC, like he said, the way that you're being treated, the way that you're being spoken to, you know, and the way that they, you're no longer a name. I mean, that's literal, mm -hmm. you know. True. They call you by your number. Mine's 954787. I, I, I mean, there's no way I can forget it, <laughs> you yeah. know. But that's how you're called for your mail. That's how you're called when they're looking for you. I'm a number mm -hmm. in that situation. So for me, I got to a point where I seen that they were trying to strip away the things that I've known about myself mm -hmm. that have made me human. You know, you can't see someone and talk to them, a friend mm -hmm. or even a family member. There was family members, but you aren't allowed to speak to them in their table over, you know. Especially RDC. Especially RDC. So it was it was a lengthy process of just getting your mind in a place to where you have to begin to live in a completely different way. And you're no longer looked upon as the dignity and the respect that every human being by birth deserves, mm -hmm. you know? So, mm -hmm. and, you know, I wanted to make that clear. And, that's, and everything you said is true. Mm -hmm. For the very first time when I went to RDC, now if we go into the child hall, the kitchen, it's about maybe eight of us lined up to get marched down to the kitchen. So this particular day, the guy that was sitting, four of us sitting at the table, the guy that's sitting at the table with us, he said, man, let me get you ice cream, and tomorrow I'll give you the hamburger. I know you a meat and potato guy. I said, you're right. You had ice cream. Why this particular day, the same guy, he go to another table. <laughs> so he owed me the hamburger, right? So, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So I don't know. I get up and go, try to go hey, hey, big boy, what you, oh, you can't get up? I said, I'm just going to the table, right? You can't get up. Did you hear me? He said, man, don't end up in the hole. I said, end up in the hole? That was speaking on how you try to communicate with somebody right. else. And me and this dude had exchanged some, you know what I mean? So I, I, I caught on real quick. I said, oh, yeah, y'all. So it was, a, it was a tight grip at RDC. Tight grip. You know, that's coming from the county tight to grip. RDC. And then they process everything. Well, and I was trying to get to, I was trying to get to Pilton at that time because I'm out of Indianapolis. I wasn't trying to go way up north to Michigan City Prison. For what? I know my mother can't travel like that. You know what I mean? And I'm at a, a certain age of life. You know, I want family close to me. Man, them people sent me to Michigan City anyway. Right. It led me to believe you're going to Pendleton. Right. When the, when the, when we call it the Blue Goose, when the bus loaded up, Jones, you're going to Indiana State Prison. I said, I thought y'all said. So, you know, everything changes for yeah. you. You know, you everything think this, changes. you think that. And granted, like I said, I wasn't perfect starting out in life. You know what I mean? I, a lot of times I was going by what I seen. The things I seen when I come out on my porch, there was pimp players and hustlers in my neighborhood. And I wanted to be everything I seen. And you know what they call that? They call that an identity crisis. I was in what you call identity crisis. Not really knowing my true essence. Today I might see you, you're a, you a player. I might see you, you're a dope dealer. I might see this guy, he's a snatch and grab. So I want to imitate everything I've seen. I'm impressionable. Right. I made bad choices. Just like any 
most teenagers do anyway, you know? <laughs> you know, so, you know, like I say, you know, um, do I regret a lot of things I did? Of course. But I knew God as, come on, we going to church. This is mama. Because I, like I said, I come up in a one-parent home. You know, I go to church, I'm sleeping in the back. I'm, I'm trying to, when is this going to be over with? It wasn't until I started getting older. It wasn't until I started valuing others. And, you know what I mean? As I see here today, I consider myself a godly man. This half of my life, I want to be better than the first half of my life. Definitely. I'll be 62 next month. I don't look like nothing I've been through. And wait till we get to the MRU part. That's the spooky part. Because you had said about how you entered into maximum security and how population, you're a little bit more freer to move more, around. A little, you know, little bit. A little bit. Yeah. You know, you're still dealing with ones that's governing you. You're still dealing with the, the mentality of, of the guards. You know what I mean? And, and then you had good and bad guards. Right. You know, you had some that just come and do their job. But boy, you had some that... Extended. Didn't you hear me talking to you? Yes. Oh, wait a minute, man. Uh, you know. Yeah, we're going to okay. we're gonna get to all okay. of that. So the maximum security, when you were in that environment, was that a 23 and one, 23 hours in, one hour out, or what was the... I don't even know if we got our out at that time. Oh, yeah? All I know was more in than out. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about for real. All I know was more in than out. Now, that maximum security, okay. I'm going to give y'all a picture of how that was set up. Like I said, first of all, it's like a dungeon. You got 18 cells on this unit. You got nine this way, and then you got nine that way. In other words, I can come to my bars and see you. You like writing, you know, that's the way it's designed. Directly across. Directly across. But, but directly across means you got like a gate right here, and then you got a metal door you can close. Like if they coming down there getting ready to spray mason yourself, they can close that metal door and pull that latch and spray all the mace they want in your cell. That's how, that's how spooky this, this unit was. I'd never seen nothing. What the? You know. So anyway, when it came time for ones to go out and try to play, play, get a little, play a little ball, get a little exercise, they come to your cell. They tell you, come up to the bars. They tell you, turn around. They take these things, time me, you know, put them behind your back. You put some stuff on your, on your feet. They said, no, we're going to take you up here on the roof and you're going to get about 15 minutes. You can't go over. When we, when we blow the whistle, your rec time is over. So I remember one day I was up there. I didn't hear the whistle. I'm, I'm in the middle of, you Why know, it ain't number. They don't let number two out, two out at a time. So 18 of us down there, so two might be able to come out. So finally, I look around. I see about four or five. They said, we had blew the whistle about five minutes ago. Uh, what, what was wrong with your hearing? I said, I didn't hear you. I said, plus another thing, it's kind of hard for me to get used to the whistle. You know, I said, had signaled me or this and that and that and this. He said, no, the rules up here is on MRU, maximum is different. You're in a whole different thing now. I wanted to ask you about in maximum, what was your relationship? Because you said it was nine cells this way, nine, nine cells in the front. I knew everybody down there. You knew everybody, everybody in that unit. Everybody on the unit. Right. I mean, I'm sure you would talk. Talk. We would come to the bars. Because that was the only company you had. Only company you had. Come to the bars. We exchanged conversations. You know what I mean? We, we even did a little debating. You know, even disagreed a lot. You know what I'm saying? No, it wasn't like a yeah, it was. You know, so yeah, I knew everybody on that unit. You knew everybody on the unit. Pretty much. Uh, did most of you guys pretty much get along with each other? It was good and bad days. It was good and bad days. It was, it was some days where you agreed and it was some days you didn't agree. Right. It was some days you didn't want to speak to nobody. 
Right. Some days you come up and close your door. You you know, like I say, you had this bar here where they set your tray on to get get your plate. They set it on this, then you can reach out and close this other door when you don't want to be bothered. really bothered with nobody. Mm-hmm. For the most part, ah, do we get along? You know, when you're dealing with different personalities right. and everybody's going through their own moments, you know, some people don't get no mail. That could put you in a certain mood. Right. Some people don't get no visits. That can put you in a certain mood. You're already mad at yourself for even being locked up. Right. You're trying to put the blame everywhere besides on you the cause you locked up. I'm the cause I was locked up, but I'm trying to put the blame on you. Were there any uh, friendships? Yeah, 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 of created? course. Like, yeah. like the particular guy that they jumped on. He was right across from me, Lincoln Love, Lomar. Lomar. We, we know each other from other prisons. See what I'm saying? Matter of fact, Lomar was out of East Chicago. I was based in Indianapolis. So my people knew some people that would call him out on a visit on the strength of me. Right. He lived way up north, but you right here in my headquarters, Indianapolis. I said, matter of fact, Lo, my auntie got a friend, man. She want to visit somebody. I'm going to hook you up with her. You know, we would do stuff like that. Right. You know. Good relationship. Good relationship. Knowing real well. Was there a Mr. Trotter? Yeah, I'm familiar with Trotter. Yeah. Well, at that particular hour, Trotter and Cole wasn't on the unit. Okay. They was outside of the unit in population, so to speak. Oh. It was just various other brothers on this unit, but Trotter and Cole at that particular hour, they wasn't on the unit. I know you can't attest for complete personalities of certain individuals, but according to your experience, what type of guys were these these guys, uh, Mr. Love, Lomar, as you call him? Lomar uh, no was... As, they, as far they, as they, in the prison. As, as far as in the prison, for what I observe, good people. Good people. And I always say, bad choices. Bad choices. See, you can be a good guy with bad ways. Mm-hmm. That don't mean everything about you is corrupt. Right. It may be a certain part of you that is. Mm-hmm. Not your whole essence. So yeah, I knew I knew Lowe was a good guy, man. Kind-hearted brother. As Cole and Trotter, you know what I mean? I knew them from other prisons and this and that, you know, uh stand-up type guys though. Mm-hmm. You can't pee on them and tell them it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mean no disrespect, excuse right. my language. I'm just saying. Right. You can't do that. Right. You know. Right. Definitely. You can do that to none of us. I mean, you still want to, you, you locked up because you made a bad choice, but you got to understand, you're still a human. You know? so, so these guys, they made some bad choices like, like, like yeah. most humans like I've most experienced humans do, in bro. my life. Like most humans do. But, as you say, the core of their nature, good guys. From my experience? From your experience. Good guy. Okay. And if they wasn't, I'd say that too. I would say I don't think that. But, you know, you can get a understanding who you're around and what you're around. Right. You know. Definitely so. This talk was put on by IDOC Watch and other organizations, including Focus Initiatives. We'll have links to their websites, along with some related articles, at kitelineradio.org. We'll air more of this conversation next week. This has been KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. And if you want to financially support our work, you can become a supporter at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. 
please check out our new searchable website with hundreds of archived shows at kitelineradio.org. After a brief hiatus, we're happy to report that our prisoner call and phone line is back. Folks on the inside or their outside friends and supporters can call 765-343-6236 to record a message to be played on the air. Please share this number widely and we'll try to answer and air all messages possible. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.